0: A Nicaraguan bishop condemned to house arrest. The bishops of France institute a canonical criminal court. And I'll reveal the world over Persons of the Year. The papal posse Robert Royal and Father Gerald Murray are here with analysis. Plus, Emmy-nominated TV host and best-selling author Megan Alexander talks about her new family picture book and TV series, The Magic of a Small Town Christmas. The world over begins right now. Now, Raymond Arroyo. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. Merry Christmas. We have an important show for you tonight. If you would like to comment on tonight's show, send me a tweet. I'm at Raymond Arroyo. Let's get started. A Jesuit priest charged with abuse continues his work and remains in the order. The bishops of France have established the first of its kind canonical criminal court here to unpack those stories and many more as well as reveal the world over persons of the year for 2022 i'm joined by the papal posse editor-in-chief of the catholic thing robert royal and canon lawyer and priest of the archdiocese of new york father gerald murray gentlemen thank you for being here i want to start with this jesuit this father marco rupnik Uh, It's an abuse scandal unfolding in Rome. Rupnik is considered one of the most sought-after artists in the church. He paints mosaics. Uh, Controversy erupted last week when Italian bloggers revealed accusations of spiritual, psychological and sexual abuse allegedly perpetrated by Father Rupnik against nine women at a Jesuit community in his native Slovenia. The bishops acknowledge, or the Jesuits rather, acknowledge that a complaint was received in 2021, but that the Vatican Sex Abuse Office determined the allegations dating from the 1990s were too old to prosecute. The Jesuits say they kept sanctions on Rupnik that prevented him from hearing confessions, giving spiritual direction, or leading spiritual exercises. Well, I would hope so. The Jesuits' original statement omitted the fact, now confirmed by the AP that Rupnik had been already excommunicated by the Vatican after a 2019 complaint where he allegedly absolved a woman in confession of having had sexual activity with him. That's an excommunicable defense, or offense, rather. Father Jerry, as a canonist, how serious is this situation? And why all the omissions and cover-ups by the Jesuits?
1: It's a very serious situation, uh, Raymond, and the situation is not only the uh, criminal activity by this priest, sexual abuse of women, religious, in the case of the woman he absolved after, uh, you know, committing sin with her of a sexual nature. She was a novice. So these are people who were under his spiritual influence. You know, they would for, They would easily fit in the category called vulnerable adults, meaning that they were mm. coerced by a spiritual figure to doing things that are against, uh, you know, morality. Now, the cover-up by the Jesuits is also mm. shocking because Father Sosa, who was the general of the Jesuits, he came out and admitted originally uh, the case of these Slovenian sisters who had been uh, abused by, uh, by Father uh, Rupnik. Now, the question here, of course, is he knew also about this excommunication offense with the Italian female novice, so we have uh, a you know partial revelation. Then Nicole Winfield of the AP pressed him at a press conference, and he admitted about the excommunication. Right. The problem lies in this: the excommunication was never revealed. And in fact, after the Vatican Tribunal declared that he had incurred the automatic penalty uh, in Canon 1384 for absolving an accomplice in a base sin. Uh, It was immediately remitted within a space of a few hours, it seems. Uh, The Vatican never explained that. They never talked about that. Why was it remitted? And the Jesuits knew about it, but only revealed it under questioning from a reporter. So we're talking here as a story that's unspooling and, you know, kind of like unraveling because there was no transparency from the beginning. Wow. Bob, how does a man who
0: is excommunicated remain a member of the Jesuits, and Vatican officials are apparently now insisting that it was the Jesuits, not the Vatican, who determined that the statute of limitations had expired on these allegations of abuse?
2: Yeah, it's a very murky uh, situation right now that we can hope will be clarified. You know, the pope has been pushing about transparency. But look, here's another factor, another fact, that is very disturbing to me. So if we want to set up a, a timeline, I'm not a canon lawyer like Father Murray is, but in 2019, he, he receives automatic excommunication for the reason that he had sex with someone that he then absolved. All right, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. When Father Sozo was asked about, you know, how do you get out of excommunication? He says, well, you repent and you confess, which Father so-and-so did. Now this sounds to me like Mm. a slap in the wrist and kind of um, an immediate um, cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about it. Mm. But beyond that, and this is something that I find utterly astonishing, Father Rupnik was then asked to preach the Lenten sermons to the Holy Father and the Vatican, right right between the (laughs) 2019 offense and what we later learned about in 2021. did the Jesuits not only cover up internally what he did, but they failed to inform the, the, the curia to inform the Holy Father himself that this man had been excommunicated and had a series of liaisons, at least nine or ten. So, I, I mean, this is, this is utterly astonishing that, that the order would do that. And then keep the, the pope in the dark? This is something that we have to investigate further and find out the, the absolute truth about. Mm, no, it, it, It's
0: a fascinating and, sadly, dark story that, uh, as you pull the pieces out, it looks worse and worse. Uh, I want to move to a, a happier story, an interesting one. In France this week, the French Catholic bishops announced the formation of a canonical criminal court in order to deal with crimes and offenses committed by clerics and lay people within the church. Now, this would include sexual abuse of adults. THIS IS CONSIDERED THE FIRST OF ITS KIND IN THE CATHOLIC CHURCH. FATHER, YOUR THOUGHTS, IS THIS A GOOD IDEA? AND WHY HASN'T IT BEEN CREATED PREVIOUSLY?
1: NO, IT'S A VERY GOOD IDEA, RAYMOND, BECAUSE uh, WHAT HAPPENS IS WHEN YOU HAVE CRIMES OF SEXUAL ABUSE BY CLERGY ALL OVER A COUNTRY, THOSE CRIMES ARE THEN REPORTED TO THE HOLY SEE, THE DOCTRINE OF THE FAITH, BUT THEN THE DOCTRINE OF THE FAITH WILL ASK THE diocese TO DO AN INVESTIGATION. AND ALL THESE DIFFERENT dioceses mm. DON'T HAVE MANY CANON LAWYERS OR SUFFICIENT SKILLS AND EXPERIENCE IN DOING IT. SO CENTRALIZING IT IN ONE PLACE WITH SKILLED STAFF. Uh, I WAS READING THE STORY ABOUT IT. THEY'VE APPOINTED, I THINK, 15 JUDGES TO HEAR THESE CASES, AND THE JUDGES WILL BE RESPONSIBLE right. for PREPARING THE CASE ACCORDING TO THE uh, can- CANONICAL WAY OF DOING THINGS. BUT INTERESTINGLY ENOUGH, um, the, the, the question of Father Rupik, for instance, where would that have fit in if there had been a National tribunal in Italy? Uh, now, uh, the way these things work, um, there's no guarantee that we'll even know that someone is under investigation or has even been convicted in many cases. And that really is shocking. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it was, I have to say, back to the segment, it was the, the doctrine of the faith, uh, that determined that they weren't going to pursue any further charges in 2021. And, but the Jesuits kept uh, penalties in place. And it's I, strange mm-hmm. credence to believe that neither the doctrine of the faith nor the, the general of the Jesuits uh, neglected to inform the pope about this matter. So that raises a question that I mm-hmm. think the Holy See has to answer. Why is he giving a, a retreat in the Vatican, When we know that he had already committed these canonical crimes. If there's a good explanation, we need to hear it.
0: Hmm. Uh, Bob, in Rome's, uh, in Rome rather, head of the Vatican's dicastery for bishops, Cardinal Mark Ouellette, has filed a countersuit against a woman who accused him of sexually assaulting her more than 10 years ago. Now, Ouellette is seeking $100,000 in damages to the, for the injury of his reputation and and the, you know his honor and his dignity, if he prevails, the cardinal has promised to donate the money to charity, uh, particularly to fight sex abuse of indigenous people in Canada. Uh, will countersuits like this be used? Do you think more often by accused priests in order to rehabilitate their reputations after
2: spurious charges have been filed? Well, in some ways, I hope yes, because it seems to me that the charge here, the woman accused him of touching her inappropriately, which is always one of these odd categories. I, I personally have known priests who have been accused of, of similar, you know, improper touching, and then it, they get exonerated, and year, it's years later, and their their ministry is ruined. So there, I think there has to be... Um, At least some sense that you may be putting yourself in jeopardy if you bring a false claim. Obviously, we want people to bring true claims. And one of the things I like Mm. about these developments in France, I think we'll have to see how they play out, is that it removes the actual decision of whether there was a crime, a punishable crime committed from the immediate diocesan circumstances. So you aren't going to have, you know, a local bishop or some local judges who may be, may or may not be a friend of the person being accused making the ultimate decision the the charges are, are funneled through the local diocese and then an impartial much more distant group of people gets to make the decision but i would really i, I think one of the the groups that we have forgotten in our attempt to be more transparent and more just about these sexual abuse cases is priests who have been improperly accused. And I know more than one of them. And, you know, where do you go to get your reputation back after somebody has brought brought a false claim?
0: And in addition to the financial Vatican scandals we have been covering all year, really for years, reports have surfaced now that Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, then president of the Pontifical Council for the Family, may have appropriated charitable funds in order to renovate his personal apartment in Rome. Paglia says those funds were repaid. Critics are not so sure. We're talking upwards of 600,000 euros here. Father, Paglia confirmed in a 2015 memo to Holy See financial officials that hundreds of thousands of euros had been paid to an Italian construction contractor instead of going to missionary and charitable projects to support poor families and orphans So the
1: question is, what funds were used to repay the charity? Your thoughts. Okay, the first thing is, he misappropriated funds. He admitted it because he paid back, allegedly, the money. Mm -hmm. So why wasn't he punished for that misappropriation in the first place? Secondly, did he personally pay back? Did he take money from another Vatican entity? Uh, Where did that money come from? Uh, And why are we only finding out about this now? This happened a number of years ago. Uh, this has all the hallmarks, sad to say, of insider dirty dealing, where Vatican officials take money. You know, we have a, we have a trial going on right now in the Vatican, which involves similar t- charges, where money is misappropriated, taken from its proper use and put to other uses. Um, Libero Malone, as you, we mentioned earlier, he's suing the Vatican in their uh, court uh, be- because of damages that he incurred to his reputation and career, Uh, Because he was falsely Mm. accused, as he claims, and it looks like he's got reason, claims that he was mistreated uh, for simply doing his job. Uh, This is all, you know, in the Navy, you would say unsat, you know, unsatisfactory. You do not conduct Mm -hmm. uh, business like this, particularly when you're the Holy See. This is underhanded, uh, taking money and misusing it.
0: Uh, Bob, uh, we're, we're watching all this financial corruption, these dueling lawsuits and investigations. The question is, and again, we're back to credibility and transparency. If you can't trust these officials to manage basic funds given in charity to help others, how do you trust them with doctrine and these doctrinal issues that are about to be uncorked during this Synod on
2: Synodality? And what should happen to Paglia here? Yeah, I think that the Polia case is is sort of uh, ground zero for this mixture of financial and doctrinal uh, confusions and perhaps criminality. You know, uh, the, the Paglia case, by the way, we have a column coming out tomorrow at the Catholic thing by Fran Mayer, a friend of all of ours here, um, that digs into and talks about some of the, the other cases. And um, I don't want to take up time with an advertisement, but uh, I would encourage the viewers to to look at the Catholic thing tomorrow morning for further information about this. Look, this Maloney case, what was he accused of when he was thrown out? He was accused of spying, so-called spying on members of the Courier. if you're the, the financial controller, you better darn well be looking into what people are actually doing. The, the idea that this is spying is is preposterous on its face. Yep. In the Paglia case, mm-hmm. he was already, when he was uh, Archbishop of Terni, which is a town about an hour north of Rome, uh, the, the place that infamously he had an, a, a mural done in the cathedral with uh, homosexual imagery with himself portrayed in the midst of these bodies going up into heaven. He was already being investigated in Terni. Um, the people who investigated eventually didn't uh, convict him of anything, but he'd been in, in, he'd been investigated there. We see these financial shenanigans uh, in the Vatican, and again, we have the case of someone who is if not actually dirty, not determined to be dirty, certainly a number of charges have come up, up, and he is appointed to some of the highest offices, including the JP2 Institute on on Marriage and the Family, the Mm. uh, the Pontifical Academy for Life. And those are the places that we've started to see the shakiness and the confusion over matters like contraception, even abortion. So there's something here Mm. that's awry in the Vatican, and it involves both doctrinal corruptions and and financial irregularities, and I think that we have to assume that there are others involved who make it possible for things like this to continue to happen.
0: Mm, Well, you know, when you you go back and read the story of how this all began, Bob, uh, you know, even the Lord choosing his original apostles, you had Judas, you know, picking from the purse, taking here and there, and, uh, you know, ended up betraying THE LORD. Uh, WE SEE THAT SADLY PLAYING OUT AGAIN AND AGAIN AND AGAIN HERE AT THE VATICAN. Um, FATHER, IN CHICAGO, CARDINAL Blaise SUPICH'S REINSTATEMENT OF FATHER MICHAEL FLAGER IS MAKING NEWS, uh, THE CONTROVERSIAL PROGRESSIVE PASTOR OF SAINT SABINA'S IN CHICAGO. HE'S KNOWN FOR EMPHASIZING SOCIAL JUSTICE AND PARTISAN POLITICS. FOLKS MAY REMEMBER FATHER FLAGER WAS SUSPENDED LAST YEAR AFTER MULTIPLE ALLEGATIONS OF ABUSE had SURFACED FROM DECADES AGO. AN INDEPENDENT REVIEW BOARD IN THE Archdiocese OF CHICAGO HAS DETERMINED THAT EACH ALLEGATION WAS WITHOUT MERIT. FATHER FLAGER HAS NOW BEEN EXONERATED AND RESTORED TO MINISTRY. IN A LETTER TO HIS FLOCK, CARDINAL ARCHBISHOP Supich SAID, I ASK THAT YOU DO ALL YOU CAN TO WELCOME BACK FATHER FLAGER SO THAT HE CAN ONCE AGAIN TAKE UP THE MINISTRY THAT HAS DISTINGUISHED SAINT SABINA in the archdiocese and beyond. Bob, your thoughts, while, while it's always good to have one's name restored, we've been talking about that, I'm glad that happened, what do you make of the call to take his ministry, not only in the parish, the archdiocese, but
2: beyond? Well, I think this is going the extra mile. And, and don't forget that what was determined here was that there wasn't any evidence that this abuse had occurred. It's not that it's been disproven Mm. entirely. Look, he's very very much of a maverick figure. Occasionally, he does good things like try to get um, inner-city blacks to stop listening to rap music and things like that. He's done advertising for that. He's worked with prostitutes. But he's very, very close to, to controversial figures like Jeremiah Wright, who actually called on the United States to be damned. He's very close... Um, to the Nation of Islam, Um, you know, these these very controversial anti-American left-wing organizations. And at the same time, he has a very, very strong following among the mostly African-American members of that parish, Santa Sabina, as they call it out there. So look, maybe he's received justice, but it looks to me, given what his background is like and how he battled with former Cardinal of Chicago, Cardinal George. Uh, and even has had some uh, conflict with uh, uh, Cardinal Supich. It looks to me like there's he's getting a little bit of special treatment and being welcomed back into the fold.
0: Father Jerry uh, Flager has a certain, uh, how do we put it, flamboyance in his style of ministry. I mean, it, the the abuse that 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 most catches my eye seems to have been committed against the liturgy for years. I mean, there's some images of uh, you know Father Flager's. Uh, uh, WILDLY ORIGINAL APPROACH TO uh, LITURGY. YOUR THOUGHTS ON THAT PART OF IT AND THE FOCUS HE GETS AND THE, the KID GLOVE TREATMENT, IF YOU WILL, IN THE diocese OF CHICAGO.
1: WELL, A COUPLE OF THINGS, RAYMOND. YEAH, YOU'RE RIGHT. IF YOU WATCH VIDEOS FROM HIS PARISH, HE VIOLATES THE, the RUBRICS OF THE MASS, RIGHT AND LEFT, WILLY-NILLY. Uh, there, was a rubric, THERE WAS A PICTURE WHERE THE Eucharist WAS BEING KNOCKED ONTO THE FLOOR BECAUSE EXTRAVAGANT GESTURES AT THE ALTAR. Uh, THAT'S ALL WRONG, THAT SHOULDN'T HAPPEN. Uh, NOW AS REGARDS, uh, YOU KNOW, HIS PREVIOUS HISTORY, MOST PASTORS MOVE AROUND, BUT HE STAYED THERE FOR MANY YEARS, HE'S RESISTED BEING MOVED OUT OF THERE, Mm -hmm. Um, THAT'S BETWEEN HIM AND HIS BISHOP, SO I'LL LEAVE THAT AT THAT. NOW THE ONE THING THAT REALLY BOTHERS ME HERE, AND THIS HAPPENS USUALLY, AN ANNOUNCEMENT IS MADE, THE REVIEW BOARD HAS CLEARED HIM, HE'S BACK IN MINISTRY. It would be much better if the review board issued a report on their investigation and said, we interviewed the accuser, we interviewed witnesses the accuser brought forward, we viewed documentary evidence, mm-hmm. if there is any. In other words, procedurally guarantee that this was not simply, well, we believe the priest, we don't believe the accuser. There's got to be more to it than that. Given the history that there were two other accusers in the past, uh, you have to say, is this thorough? Is this fair? Now, maybe it was... It certainly the Archbishop of Chicago thought it was, uh, but as an mm-hmm. outside observer, it's unsatisfactory, there goes that word again, simply to say the mm-hmm. blue Board pronounced it end of story. Well, there's more to the story right. if the facts aren't laid on the table.
0: Okay, back in the U.S., a federal appeals court has struck down the Biden administration's transgender care mandate. The court found that religious health care providers, including Catholic hospitals, cannot be forced to perform or pay for gender transition surgeries if doing so violates these organizations' conscience rights. Um, Bob, this is the second appeals court ruling blocking this
2: mandate. How big a victory is this for conscience rights? Well, I think it's a great victory, because these uh, lawsuits are really brought directly against the Catholic Church. um, It it was a big story in The Washington Post not long ago that said that the Catholic Church provides something like 17 percent of all hospital care in the United States, and that this was a problem, because the Catholic hospitals don't provide abortion you know, this misnomered uh, mis- uh, trans care. It's not care to mutilate pe- people's bodies or to give young children uh, puberty blockers. But the the way that the church is looked at is as, as an obstacle to this sexual revolution, when, in fact, under our system, under our constitutional system, we have a right to practice our own religion the way we want in our own institutions. And happily, these courts generally have been in favor of protecting the the rights of religious bodies to to operate in their own ways. The Supreme Court in particular has been very strong about these religious liberty cases. So it's good to see this, even in the face of this tsunami of, you know, uh, trans promotion that the president is engaged in and every cultural outlet that we have, including television, radio, the Internet, Hollywood. They all seem to be engaged in in a a virtual crusade to impose this on the rest of us. And and yet our legal system has stood rather strong and said, no, these institutions have a right under our Constitution to behave in a different way than you would like them to. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Father, how might this ruling, which got very little coverage in the media, I might add, affect conscience rights in the medical arena and other arenas of public life?
1: Well, the court is absolutely standing up for the right that individual Americans cannot be conversed by our government to do things that violate their religious beliefs. And the shocking thing is that President Biden, you know, who likes to uh, consider himself to be a devout practicing Catholic, that he is actually trying to destroy uh, the right of the Catholic Church to conduct her own affairs according to Catholic doctrine. And Bob is right, there really is a tsunami, a wave going over the country through cultural institutions to try and convince mm-hmm. us that you can change nature, you know? The same people who want, you know, natural products only on their dinner table have no problem with taking Mother Nature and cutting her up and injecting people with hormones, who are minors, by the way, to, to try and make something that's impossible. You can't turn a girl into a boy. And that is, that, that is a statement of fact. And it's a statement of love because, of course, people are going to hear that and say Father Murray hates trans people. No, I love people and I want them to live as God made them. And God made male and female. End of story.
0: Mm. Also in the U.S., the so called Respect for Marriage Act was signed into law by President Biden this week. This controversial act had the support of many religious groups. However, it was roundly opposed by the U.S. Catholic Bishops' Conference. Here's what the Catholic President Joe Biden had to say.
3: A day America takes a vital step toward equality, toward liberty and justice, not just for some, but for everyone, everyone, toward creating a nation where decency, dignity, and love are recognized, honored, and protected.
0: The U.S. bishops argue that the bill does not sufficiently protect those with religious objections. In a statement, the USCCB wrote, the amended act will put the ministries of the Catholic Church, people of faith, and other Americans who uphold the traditional meaning of marriage at greater risk of government discrimination. Father Jerry, your thoughts on the objections of the bishop and there are even some within the church, Father James Martin and others, who wanted the bishops to support it. The Mormon church supported this bill as well.
1: Uh, the Catholic bishops in the United States are absolutely correct. Uh, this bill is going to be used, this new law, to drag the church and her institutions into federal court uh, alleging discriminatory action because the Catholic church teaches that marriage cannot occur between two men or two women, that marriage is only occurring between a man and a woman. Uh, The Catholic doctrine on this is a contradiction of this new dogma that's been enshrined in law uh, now through the federal legislative branch, but earlier through the Supreme Court. Uh, This is that larger problem we face uh, in the country, which is the loss of reality, the same with the transgender stuff. You cannot change the nature of man and woman. You cannot change the nature of marriage. Uh, that's what these people are trying to do. Now, why are they trying to do it? Well, largely in pursuit of sexual pleasure because they don't want any restraint on that, and largely in an effort to recreate the way society is because the bonds of natural family get in the way of people who want the government to run everything. You know, how, many, how often now we're hearing about children. Uh, are being told in school, don't tell your parents what we're doing in school here telling you about transgenderism and marriage because they don't understand because they're religious people. Uh, This is really insidious. The communists uh, used to do this in communist countries. We're doing it now in our own. Bob, does this act give due
0: protection and recognition um, to religious freedom, religious speech, or is this going to be used as a cudgel? Uh, as the bishops maintain, to dull or mute the moral voice of the Catholic Church and other
2: churches? Well, as I said earlier, I I really think that our courts, at least for the time being, and particularly the Supreme Court in its present configuration, tend to um, allow a certain amount of liberty to religious institutions. So we'll, at least at that level, we'll have some protection. What it seems to me, though, that that this, this does is it really, it seeks to alter the cultural ground on which decisions are being made. Now we could go into a long you know list of historical things that have happened, including the legalization of contraception and abortion and whatnot that shifted away the idea of what marriage is. I mean marriage, It's not only male and female, he created them, but be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the Earth. Marriage, as Father rightly says, is the the main obstacle to these utopian ideological schemes. It's been the case in every place where an ideology takes over that they try to destroy marriage and the family, because that's really where a different kind of affection lives. What these things are doing culturally is they're trying to get us to believe that other forms of attraction or other forms of affection are the equivalent of marriage, and they simply aren't. One of the reasons why marriage has always been something special is it's the place where life gets transmitted, where human beings are formed in virtues and that they're educated, they're socialized. All those things, when we see the, the federal government and other governments trying to replace those, those functions of the family, it's the state trying to become what the family was historically. And that is my real worry. This cultural redefinition, at least for the time being, I think legally will be okay. But in the long run, if the culture shifts in that direction, how long are we going to be able to resist?
0: Well, Bob, you were talking about the way decisions are made and who makes those decisions. But one could argue this same spirit, if you will, is in the church. We have been covering this now for years, the 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 march toward the synod on synodality. Um, THE GERMAN BISHOP'S CONFERENCE CO-FUNDED A STUDY LOOKING AT LAY SUPPORT OF THE Synodal WAY'S AIMS. THE STUDY SHOWED WIDE DIFFERENCE OF OPINION ABOUT SOME OF THE MOST PROGRESSIVE GOALS OF THE SENATE. ONLY 44% SUPPORTED THE ELIMINATION OF PRIESTLY CELIBACY. LESS THAN 38% WANTED A CHANGE IN THE CHURCH'S STANCE ON HOMOSEXUALITY. ONLY 42% SEEMED TO SUPPORT FEMALE DEACONS. Uh, FATHER, WHAT DO YOU MAKE OF THESE RATHER SOFT NUMBERS? Um, And might this indicate that the direction and goals of the Synod could be shifting, given the popular support, or does that not matter and things will be handled the way finances are handled in the Vatican?
1: Well, uh, if the Synod and Synodality was really about promoting the Catholic faith, uh, we wouldn't be talking about this stuff. But the people in charge of the Synod, as we saw in their uh, recent document, they want everything to be on the table. Uh, Now, recently, in an interview, the Archbishop of Paris said, he joined a chorus, that the church's teaching on homosexuality needs to be changed and that the catechism of the Catholic Church on this question can be rewritten or should be rewritten. He joins a chorus of other cardinals and bishops saying this. Uh, The German hierarchy is obstinate uh, in promoting uh, this goal of revolutionizing Catholic doctrine. So it doesn't matter how many faithful people uh, object to it if the people in charge have the power to ignore them. And that's what we're, do- that's what we're seeing. Now, on the flip side, you know, the good thing about uh, EW10 and other outlets is normal people's voices get heard, and those do, they do echo in the chambers of power. So I hope some good comes of that.
0: Hmm. Uh, I want to move on an important story happening uh, that isn't getting enough coverage. A Nicaraguan court this week announced that Catholic bishop... Rolando Alvarez must remain under house arrest on charges of conspiracy and spreading false news. We've heard that before. According to a government media site, the bishop is also being charged with damaging the Nicaraguan government and society. Alvarez was first placed under house arrest in August on the order of President Daniel Ortega. His first hearing is scheduled for January 10th. In August, Pope Francis made some very vague references to the situation in Nicaragua without mentioning the detention of the bishop. Um, Bob, Nicaragua has been cracking down on the church this year. Really, we've been covering it often. Uh, Ortega has even expelled the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's order, from the country.
2: Where is the U.S. and the Vatican in all of this? Yeah, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, this is a, a pope who knows Latin America well. Um, we know that he's been soft on the regime in Cuba, but but this even goes farther. I, I think Cuba, you know, there there are negotiations that go on within in Cuba because the church has confronted that for a long time. This is really a blatant uh, attack against a an independent voice in a country that is not only ideologically very far to the left. It's a criminal conspiracy. It's an, it's not only Daniel Ortega, his wife. I think is vice president. His children run yep. various state-run enterprises. So there's a kind of a criminal conspiracy. And when they talk about damage being done to the Nicaraguan nation, what they really mean is that he has said things that are unflattering about the Ortega family. It's, it's as clear as anything mm-hmm. can possibly be. So you know, this is not a matter of a pope not, not wanting to intervene in a political situation. He should, first of all, be defending one of his own bishops. But he should also be speaking out, if he can speak out about the, the injustice of what's happening in Ukraine, and he has in, in mixed fashion, uh, he should speak directly about this. He should show a, a regime, which is a, a regime that, that is an international pariah, that the, the, the global Catholic Church stands with that bishop and against the corruption and criminality of the regime. It isn't hard to do this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no. He, he, the Pope, and I think the Vatican must stand, particularly for these vocal um, bishops who are risking their lives to preach the gospel, be a leader to their people, and point the way to a nation. The least we should do is be supporting them in prayer and in word. Um, now I want to move on to our World Over Persons of the Year, because it's related to that Nicaraguan story. We had three honorees. This year marked the Vatican's second renewal of its infamous and secret agreement with the Communist Chinese Party, allowing it to choose bishops and even conscript worship and dictate the worship in the church. The price for that agreement appears to be the Vatican's near-total silence in the face of Chinese Communist Party tyranny. For resisting tyranny and for their willingness to alert the world to Beijing's brutality, for their personal witness for religious and human freedoms, our first two persons of the year are Catholic pro-democracy media mogul Jimmy Lai and former Bishop of Hong Kong Cardinal Joseph Zen. 75-year-old Mr. Lai was recently sentenced to five years in prison for violating a lease agreement. Cardinal Joseph Zen, who's a friend of this program, appeared many times. He's 90. He's appealing his November conviction for failure to properly register a charity fund. I want to play a bit of each of these men speaking out and making their case for freedom. Here's Jimmy Lai.
3: For people like us who are Catholic, Are embedded in the values of a religion. You know, our instinct urges us to stand up to injustice, to evil. Well, I think the CCP is very afraid of organization because if you have a faith, you can easily organize together and oppose them because for a religion, which is the foundation for morality and value, which the CCP does not have. This is where they're most vulnerable. You know, Chinese people are looking for a faith in addition to their life, material life. The greater material success they have the more vacuum and void they feel in the heart.
0: Father Jerry, I'll I'll let you react to uh, Jimmy Lai, a real hero.
1: Yeah, bravo, Raymond, for picking him as one of the persons of the year. Uh, This man is a Catholic convert. Uh, He's an extremely wealthy man who did not flee Hong Kong when he was under threat. Uh, And he is a living rebuke to the communist dictatorship, and that's why he's in jail. Uh, He has not gotten sufficient support from the Holy See, and I regret that. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who are victims of communism don't seem to have a lot of friends in the Vatican who are willing to speak up, and it's just, it's a head-scratcher. You know, when the European governments refuse to take mass immigration across the Mediterranean, there are regular condemnations and efforts, you know, to change the minds of those leaders. Uh, When it comes now to Jimmy Lai and Cardinal Zen and all the others who are in prison, Uh, There's very muted words and, you know, let me just say this, that deal you mentioned is secret between the Vatican and the Chinese Communist Party. Silence is not our friend in this or in most matters.
0: Hmm. Bob, I'm going to play this. This is Joseph Cardinal Zen warning about that secret accord between the Vatican and the CCP before it was fully implemented. Watch.
4: It's a a a real tragedy for the whole church. Mm. Uh, Those who can uh, still function, uh, uh, they are slaves of the the new legislation, but uh, the underground church is going to disappear completely. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm very, very sad to say that uh, all this happened uh, also because of the wrong policy in the Vatican, you see? Mm because uh, they, they have done everything to, 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 to give the, uh, uh, the church into the hands of, of the enemy. You see, the first act is that so-called uh, secret agreement. Right. The second act is to legitimize the seven bishops. The last act, even even more terrible, mm. uh, the Holy See has encouraged everybody to join the patriarchal association, mm. to come into the open and to obey the government.
0: Bob, this is, again, it's heartbreaking even to watch him again and see this, because so many have been silent in the face of his ongoing persecution there. And now, you know, he he faces jail time
2: again. Yeah, I'm glad that you picked these two individuals, Raymond, uh, a layman and a a prelate of the church, because they've been conspicuous in their witness, of course. But I think we also mm-hmm. ought to remember, without taking anything away from either of them, the millions of underground Catholics who are loyal to Rome when Rome doesn't seem to be particularly loyal to them at, at this point in history. Mm. Look, the great Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said that it's, you know, it's great to be in dialogue with other people, but when you di- you claim you're going to enter into dialogue with communism, you've got to realize what you're dealing with. You're not dealing with an entity that deals in good faith or that even speaks truthfully with you. And therefore, Mm. if you're really dealing with a communist regime, and I think you could probably make the case of any dictatorial regime um, that is not held responsible by its own people. that that any attempt at dialogue is going to be doomed from the start because it isn't really taking place with two equals speaking respectfully to one another. And people like this are reminding us that not everyone in the world can be touched by dialogue. At times there has to be um, just courageous witness and let us hope not, but at times also even outright martyrdom. That's been the history of the church and we must always Mm -hmm. recognize that in whatever circumstances we find ourselves.
0: Yeah, well, it, it seems like we're in the season of uh, deferring to dictators when it comes to the Vatican and the rest of the world. I mean, you you saw the Vatican take a very strong stance on Ukraine, uh, speaking out forcefully. Of course, this week they backtracked about something the Pope said about Russia. So, again, we kind of defer and back off when dictators growl. Um, BUT THERE DOESN'T SEEM TO BE THE SAME CONCERN, IN FACT, NO CONCERN, FOR THE BREAKDOWN IN FAITH, THE DESTRUCTION AND DEFAMATION OF THE GOSPEL, WHERE THE WORDS OF THE GOSPEL ITSELF, THE STORIES THAT PEOPLE DIED TO PRESERVE, ARE are DEFORMED AND TWISTED TO INCLUDE XI AND THE COMMUNIST PARTY. THE the PEOPLE ARE RESTRICTED OF GOING TO CHURCH. THE CHINESE AUTHORITIES ARE CHOOSING BISHOPS. And the Pope and the Vatican have nothing to say as your own cardinals are being dragged before kangaroo courts. And shame on the U.K. government as well, uh, gents, for being so silent about Jimmy Lai. Jimmy Lai holds a a U.K. passport. He is a citizen of the United Kingdom. And it's outrageous they haven't been more aggressive in pressing for his freedom uh, in Hong Kong and with China. Uh, I want to move on to our final person of the year Uh, in the different arena. For his efforts to bring faith and the power of grace to movie theaters, streaming services worldwide, uh, our other person of the year is actor and producer Mark Wahlberg. Mark labored to bring Father Stu, the true story of Father Stuart Long, to theaters. He was moved by this conversion story and put his own money up to get it made. For that and the good he does through his philanthropic efforts, Mark Wahlberg is our final person of 2022. How important is it Um, uh, Father Murray to hold up that light and that candle, if you will, in the middle of the culture, in the middle of places like entertainment and and movie theaters.
1: It's very important, Raymond, and you know that, and and so valuable for the ordinary viewer to be able to go to a theater, be inspired, be reaffirmed in moral goodness, uh, to see the power of divine grace, you know, so much of the entertainment industry now is basically promoting a distorted view of life, which denies that there's right and wrong or that there's even, you know, a possibility of redemption. All they want to talk about is do what you want and then forget about what anybody else is doing. And movies like Father Stew and other entertainment things of that sort, they basically tell us, look, we're here on the earth to do more than simply please ourselves. And if we do wrong, we can ask God's forgiveness and start again. And isn't that really the message of Christmas? When when Jesus came to the earth, yeah. it was not to say, hey, everybody, everything's great. I'm glad I could join you. No, is repent and believe in the gospel <laughs> and, and take up your cross and follow me. And that's the message that Mark Wahlberg and so many others in uh, Christian and Catholic entertainment are promoting, and God bless them.
0: Bob, uh, you wrote a book about Catholic culture, a big, thick book, as I recall. Uh, I read it from cover to cover. Uh, there was a time when... Catholic storytellers, novelists, um, that that, that was at the very center, indeed, the forefront of art around the world. We have lost a big chunk of that uh, over the last few decades, certainly. Um, And and that's part of why uh, we thought it important to include Mark, because you can't forsake the culture. You have to enlighten it as well.
2: Uh, as someone who wrote over a 600 page book about the, the Catholic intellectual tradition in the 20th century, I'm all in favor right. of reason, a uh, reasonable faith, and, and reaching out and trying to explain things to people. But one of the things I'm, I much admire about Mark Wahlberg and others, he, he's hardly alone in, in Hollywood, is that they're yeah. brawlers. You know, they're willing to step in and, and duke it out with people who would just like to eject them. Um, there's, a, there's a very strong element in our culture that just tries to shun, to cancel, you know, all these words that we've started to, to use about this. But I really believe that, that the mm-hmm. tide has turned somewhat about this. I, I, I think that what we're going to see mm-hmm. is there's going to be more and more of a pushback and more, and more of a welcoming of that pushback in the culture because mm-hmm. in spite of the craziness that's, that's entered the higher end of the culture, most people are still sane, most people still know that God is important in their lives, and they'll respond to it mm-hmm. if it's only offered to them.
0: Yeah, no, there's a huge audience for redemptive content. I mean, and and I love that Father Stu is now back in theaters, a PG-13 version. They got rid of uh, most of the expletives so that families can go see it together. That's important, too, I think, to make it available to all people. Gentlemen, we will leave it there, and it's a wonderful segue to our next segment. But a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year to both you and your families, and thank you for riding with me in 2022. I know it wasn't always easy. For commentary by Robert Royal and Father Gerald, visit thecatholicthing.org. Thank you, gents. Merry Christmas. Same to you, Raymond. Thanks, Raymond. The Wise Men Who Found Christmas is now available in bookstores everywhere online, makes a wonderful Christmas gift, and I've been having such an incredible time on this tour. The final stop on my book tour is on Friday, December 16th. albeit Books and Greetings in North Vale, New Jersey. Go to RaymondArroyo.com for all the details. On my Facebook and, and Twitter feeds, there are opportunities where you can find signed editions. I know some of you wanted those. And, of course, The wise Men Who Found Christmas is also available from the EWTN catalog. She's an Emmy-nominated TV host, as well as an author, actress, producer, head of her own production company. She's covered 10 Super Bowls and reported for Thursday Night Football on CBS. You've seen her on Inside Edition, Fox News, the Hallmark Channel. Faith is important to her personally as well as professionally. She joins me tonight to talk about her new family picture book and the TV series upon which it is based, The Magic of a Small Town Christmas. Please welcome... Megan Alexander to the show. Megan, great to see you. Now, you've not been shy about your faith. In 2017, you wrote a book called Faith in the Spotlight, uh, thriving in your career while staying true to your beliefs. And in it, you tell the story of how faith played a role in your work early on in your career. And as a result, you decided to publicly disagree with a co-host about Hugh Hefner. How did that decision shape the future of your career?
5: Yeah. Oh, Raymond, thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure and a blessing to be here. You know, I was raised in sure. a Christian home, accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at five years old, went to Christian school all the way up through college. But I always wanted to do something in, in TV and film. I always wanted to be in the entertainment industry, and I just wasn't sure how those two were going to go together, how those two were going to blend. Um, but I just, mm. I, ke- I kept thinking... You know, God will let me know when it's time to speak about my faith. When you look at the Bible, we've got stories of people that never felt prepared or qualified, whether it's Moses, whether it's Daniel, whether it's Esther. But what did they do? They just kept moving forward and uh, looked to the Lord that Mm -hmm. he would let them know when it was time to to make that move or to go after something or to achieve something for him. And so I, I wanted to do good work first, build those relationships get to know people and then yes there was a time on set on live television where my co-host was praising Hugh Hefner on his birthday and really exalting him as this incredible man and I just I I thought this is a moment I have to speak up because I don't agree and so I did and it was rather interesting Raymond the whole room burst into applause and agreed with me and I thought I think there's more people out there. I think there's an audience that isn't being served, that's religious, that's family friendly, that's people of values and faith. That was the beginning for me to tap more into that and to just speak my opinion when I could and know that God would take care of the rest.
0: Wow. And you've covered everything from sports to entertainment. Now you're covering something perhaps far more important. Tell me about this series, Small Town Christmas, now in its second season on UP TV. How did you come up with this idea, UP again, uh, of a television series dedicated to looking at how Christmas is celebrated in small towns?
5: Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town, Edmonds, Washington. It's about an hour outside of Seattle, mm-hmm. the type of town where you could bump into people you know on Main Street. And for the local tree lighting ceremony, you didn't have to get there hours early in terms of parking. It was still pretty small. And so I've always enjoyed traveling during the holidays with my family. I now have three kids. We live in a small town outside of Nashville. It's called Franklin, Tennessee. But Raymond, really during mm-hmm. COVID, when we had to stay inside and we weren't totally sure how this whole thing was going to play out, I missed getting the family into the car and driving. I love exploring our beautiful country and all the small Mm. towns. You know, small towns and small businesses are the heartbeat of America. And I said to my husband, you know, Mm. I would love to do a travel show someday about all these small towns during the holidays. Their businesses are gonna need a boost coming off of COVID. I wanna make this happen. So I developed the idea up, believed in it. We partnered on this show and we've got our second season this year and we've covered another four small towns each season. We pick four small towns around the country and just um, cover how they celebrate the holidays. Everybody has their unique spin. Everybody does something a little bit different, but Raymond, at the end of the day, there's a common thread in all these small towns everything's volunteer driven people do it for free because they love it they want to be part of something bigger than bigger than themselves and part of the community and Raymond the other thing is churches I find are still the center Ah. of so much activity in these small towns
0: how did you decide which towns to highlight which uh, places to travel for the audience uh, as well as for you know the communities you'll become you cover in the series
5: yeah Well, as you know, America is a vast and amazing country, so I tried to give a little bit of everything. I tried to cover all parts of the country geographically, but logistics played into it, Raymond. I I would make that first Mm. phone call to the mayor usually or the tourism office, and it's really fun for me in the early stages to do my research. But inevitably, I have to say, how soon do you put up your Christmas lights? Could we be talking right after <laughs> Halloween, maybe even before Halloween? And so a lot of it came down to how early they celebrate because we film all mm. through the month of November and then we quickly turn, edit the episodes and get them on the air to air Sunday nights wow. in December. So it's a very quick process. But I've been blessed that, you know, first season we covered Branson, Missouri. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Natchitoches, Louisiana, and Somerville, South Carolina. And this second season, mm. we spread out even more. We cover Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, Ella Georgia, North Pole, Alaska, and we end up in Frostburg, Maryland. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: That is awesome. Alaska. And Natchitoches <laughs> is such an incredible light display. You know, I know that little town. It's really something. I live in New Orleans now, as you know. Um yes. Before I go on and talk about the picture book, I'm on a plane this past week, and I was doing some writing, and I said, you know, there's all these movies on. I'm going to put this Reba McIntyre Christmas movie on. So I put it on. It's in the background. I love Reba McIntyre. And I'm watching this. Who pops up in, like, the second scene of this movie but you? I mean, uh, (laughs) what is this?
5: Yeah, I got to play Reba's publicist in You're Talking About Christmas in Tune, which is a Lifetime movie. We filmed that last year. And I got to play her publicist. It's a darling love story. She plays a country singer named Georgia. John Schneider plays her ex, and they get back together. And yeah, I got to play the publicist that boss Reba McIntyre around a little bit, so that was fun.
0: Pretty good. (laughs) I was like, look at Megan Alexander. Totally unexpected. And I just read the picture book before I left the house. And I'm on the plane, and there you are. And I have to say, you know, I never watch these kind of TV Christmas movies. I just don't have time for them. This one was really well done. It's well acted. The music was great. I mean, I, I have to say I was sort of impressed by it. Uh, so good move there, Megan. Now, you decide to write a picture book, The Magic of a Small Town Christmas, to mirror the, the small towns you visited throughout this series. Why did you want to write this book? What was the intention here?
5: Yeah. You know, Raymond, I'm a mother of three small children. And like so many people in this world, I'm constantly looking for family friendly, positive content. I'm wanting to read books Mm. with my kids, watch TV shows and movies with them. So that's really the next chapter for me personally and professionally is I, I want to, contribute positively to the media landscape. And I would come home from my travels covering these small towns, and I'd be telling my kids about it. And I thought, you know, I really want to put this into a format that they would understand. And what is that? That's story Mm. time, right? i read my kids' stories just as you do. And you have so many incredible kids' books that I have used as tools to have bigger conversations with my kids. And I want to contribute in that mm. way too. So it's my way to put this into, you know, on their level where we say, hey, why are our small towns special? But really, it's what's the true meaning of Christmas? Mm. Yes, there's so many shiny things that catch our eye. And I love all of it too. I'm all about Christmas. But at the end of the day, it's mm, our too. family and our friends that we're with. It's Jesus' birth, it's going into a small church aglow with candles on Christmas Eve mm. service. And so that's what I tried to do with this book is it can be a tool for me and other families to ask those questions of wait what's it really all about that's my hope.
0: Well uh, Megan I love it and it 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 cap it certainly captures that and you are so right the most important conversations I think not only during the holidays but throughout the year are the conversation between a parent and a grandparent and that child that they love. And these picture books, I call them family reads, allow us all to enter into conversation, share our values, share our experiences. That ends up being a story richer and bigger than anyone we could write. So, thanks for contributing to that. I, I, I had that feeling as I read the book. And I love that you have the series for those who want to go a little deeper. Now, is, is Heartbeat Falls a composite of the various little towns you visited? Is that what it is?
5: Yes, exactly. The Magic of a Small Town Christmas is about the imaginary town of Heartbeat Falls, which was exactly that, Raymond. I tried to take the traits and characteristics and little things that I've appreciated and enjoyed in these small towns and put it into picture format. Again, in terms of the church, the church is front and center on the cover, Raymond. And I I pushed Mm -hmm. my publisher. I said, we have to have a church on the cover because that is central Mm -hmm. in so many people's lives during the holidays. The local ice skating rink, The local bakery, I actually named the bakery in the story after my real life neighbor down the street, Sherry, who makes sweet things for all of us in the neighborhood. Mr. Richard's tree farm. Uh Everybody has a tree farm in their memory. Most people do about, you know, as a child Mm. going and finding that perfect tree. So yes, it's a composite of all the characteristics that we find in these small towns across the country. And you know, what's really encouraging to me, Raymond, is there's a lot of division in this country right now. There's so much going on in terms of, you know, this versus that, whether it's Alaska, North Pole, Alaska, Natchitoches, Louisiana, or Frostburg, Maryland, they all have that common thread of community, fellowship, and the local church being the center of Christmas activity. I find find it very heartwarming, and I want to spread that message because I think we need to hear it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we get lost and we focus so much in the media on the lighting of the Rockefeller Center tree and, the you know, the big big parades and the big things that happen in cities. But you're right. They lack that community, that caring, that personal touch. What do you hope families and children get from reading the book together?
5: Yeah, I hope they'll be inspired um, to travel, to travel the country and support these small businesses. They could use our help. Um, you know, they certainly support each other. I mean, when I make that first phone call to the town, they're constantly cheering each other on. Oh, you have to call this person over at the ice skating rink. You've got to call this local bookstore. <laughs> they would be great. They're cheerleaders, and I, I think we need to do the same. And and my other hope is that uh, people will read it, and, and, and they will be inspired to start traditions of their own. You know, my family, we started doing mm. something called the Flashlight Candy Cane. Hunt a couple of years ago. We sprinkle candy canes across the backyard and all the kids come over with their flashlights and go hunting for them. <laughs> but Raymond, it's a tool, again, to say, at the end of that hunt, we're having fun and celebrating and eating all of our candy. But, hey, where'd the candy right. cane come from? That's a religious you know, symbol of a shepherd's staff. Mm -hmm. Exactly, back to the nativity. So hopefully parents may read it and say, wait a minute, I see myself in those pages. I see myself as a child and some of the things I did in my community or in my church. And maybe if it's gone away and they've forgotten about it, they could bring it back again.
0: Well, I love it. I love that you've you've captured eternal truths through the commonplace, through the things we encounter every Christmas, and it points to something bigger and more magical than uh, some of the advertisements we come across. Megan Alexander, thank you so much for being here. The magic of A Small Town Christmas. It's a must-read for the holiday season. You can find it online, anywhere books are sold. And don't forget to catch Megan on UP TV Sunday nights throughout the month of December, 9 p.m. Eastern, for the latest episodes of Small Town Christmas. Uh, You can visit uptv.com to view Season 1 and episodes of this year's Season 2. And, Megan, they're running them between now and Christmas, right?
5: That's right. They're going to rerun them. You can catch it on the app, online, a lot of different ways. I watch it through the Philo app. So thank you, people, for tuning in.
0: Thank you, Megan. Merry Christmas to you and Brian and the kids, and uh, we'll see you soon. That is all the time we have for now. Be sure to catch us next week. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, thank you for watching. I'm Raymond Arroyo. Bye now.